spine, how books are made. I'm your host, Holly Dunn. In this episode, I speak with M.S. Corley, book designer extraordinaire. You may have seen his vintage-style Harry Potter covers floating around on the internet over the past few years. Since then, he's been working with independent authors and publishing companies alike, and is the cover designer for best-selling author Hugh Howey. We reference a lot of specific covers for this interview, so I'd really recommend taking a look at his website while you listen, if you can. Here's MS Corley. So I I have to start off by asking you about the Harry Potter covers, because that's how I first came across your work, and I think that's probably how a lot of people come across your work to begin with. Um, Yes. So so what what drove you to make those in the first place? Yeah, those um, back... uh... I forget the years now. I think I want to say 2008. Um, there was a big trend going on. I think Ollie Moss, you know him, right? Yeah, yeah. He he was a big part of it of recreating different properties as book covers. So he was doing video games. There was another designer called Space Sick who was doing movies as book covers, and I loved it. I loved the minimalist design because that was super big at the time, and. I thought, I don't want to just copy what they're doing. And I like books, so why don't I just make book covers? But they're my own covers. So I sat down and tried to think of what I wanted to do and what I had recently read. And I I think the first ones I actually did were Lemony Snicket. And then the second ones I did were Harry Potter. And then when I did those, I put them online, and then the internet just went crazy for them. And then that's kind of how my official book cover career started. Oh, so that was the very beginning then? Yeah, that was before. I hadn't done any paid book covers for any publishers or indie people before then. I was working at a merchandise agency at the time. And then I just made book covers for myself just for fun, just as a design practice. I didn't love my day job, so it was something to do at night to keep me happy and designing things that I wanted to design. And then people saw them and then they started asking me to make actual covers and I went from there. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, so do you still do many personal projects? <laughs> uh, I try. <laughs> I, it's hard to find the time, especially when you, when you design all day and then you're like, okay, well, work's over. Now I'm going to design all night. It's kind of hard to find the, the motivation to do in your free time, the same thing you've been doing for your work time. Yeah. But I mean, I still, have, I still have personal projects. I just getting around to them is less than I would have liked. Yeah. Cause you've got those, um, the, the, his dark materials ones as well. So did they come about after the Harry Potter ones? Oh yeah. Harry. Po- so I think it was Lemony Snicket then Harry Potter, then his dark materials. Then I did some Narnia ones, um, Spiderwick Chronicles. Those are all in that using the Penguin Marber grid. And then from then on, I think I just branched out and did official covers. Oh, right. Indies and stuff. Because I I was wondering if, with the Book of Dust coming out very soon, if if you're planning on doing another cover for that. The Book of Dust? Tell me more. It's it's a a new book about, it's it's by Philip Pullman, and it's it's called a an equal rather than a prequel or a sequel to his art materials because it's set about the same time and it's a oh. a set of uh, short stories around those those characters and sort of exploring what they were doing in the when they weren't um on the page 
Wow. Yeah. Well, there you go. Well, I take it that's a no then. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have any plans, but yeah. maybe I'll have to revive what I did uh, and then try to do it for this one. Is it going to be a new series or is it just one book? Uh, there are going to be three of them. Okay. Yeah. So this is the first one. Gotcha. Obviously, they wouldn't bring out the second one first, would they? <laughs> um, right. <laughs> but um, the what I was wondering about as well is because, I mean, I'm a huge fan of his dark materials. And I think mm -hmm. that, that your covers really capture that idea of dust very well. And because it's such a an abstract idea and it's something that's... I've spent quite a lot of time looking at different people's covers uh, uh, for his dark materials. And it, it's... Yeah. Th it, it, it usually a, follows it the very, same... Sorry. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> it was a very difficult... Um, like Harry Potter, there's so many imagery mm. things that you can just take and... For those, it was trying to think of, okay, which one looks best? His Dark Materials, it was like, okay, what can I do? Because it's so abstract in the visuals with the dust and all of it. it I was just like, I, I either do the same thing everyone else is doing or I have to look at it a different way. Which, of mm -hmm. course, I had um, Yorick. Is that right? Did I say that right? Yorick, yep. Yeah, on the first cover, um, like everyone does. But yeah. But I think I think it the way I did it, they all worked together as a set. Yeah, definitely. And I especially love the one for the subtle knife where you've got that window and you've got the dust, I guess. It's again, it, it's such a difficult thing to actually because it's an invisible thing and, and you can't really right. draw it without it looking just like dust. But I think you've done such yeah. a great job of you know having it with the Aurora in the first one and and then in in a more um kind of abstract Subtle. way in the second two. Subtle, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, I recently did a, a, a set of covers for these myself as, as a personal project, and oh. these were the problems I came across. So I was very interested to see your interpretation of it. It, it, was, a, it was a challenge. Um, and I think, no, I think I did Narnia after that. But yeah, once I went through all those series, um, I was like, wow, it's, it's really difficult trying to pick one perfect image for all these well-loved series and not insult people and i had a lot of people saying like with the harry potter ones why didn't you do this <laughs> why didn't you do that especially for book seven when i did the the baby under the um the bench yeah that one was the least loved i think but that image stood out to me the most in the book um so it's just interesting hearing people complain about what you do <laughs> yeah for fun <laughs> absolutely it's not their project but... right yeah I, I actually thought that that was one of the most striking ones just because it's not an image that you really see well it's not something that you see on any of the other, other covers and it's only something that you ever actually see and i guess until we get the illustrated edition of, of the final book but we only see it right. briefly in in the film and it even then it's quite an abstract moment yeah, and and what I what I kind of like about book covers is I like the idea of giving away an important part on the cover, but you don't know it until you read it. Mm, um, yeah. So like uh, one of the other complaints of those Harry Potter covers was the third book where I did the time turner on the necklace. Yeah. That's the huge pivotal that explains exactly what happened in the story. 
But if you've never read Harry Potter, never seen the movies, and you see that cover, and then you read the book, you won't understand what that is until you get to it. So I, I like, I like when I read books and the covers have weird or abstract imagery, and then when I finish the book, I look back at it and I think, oh, that's what that is. Mm. And it's it's just an added little layer of fun with reading. Absolutely, I think that's one of the things that that makes a a great book cover. So I wanted to ask you a bit about your use of typography. And I, I'm assuming that most of this is, is hand-lettered, or a lot of it is. Am I correct in thinking uh, that? It depends on the cover. Um, but I do a lot of hand-lettering. Um, I don't feel like typography is my strongest point. Oh, I um, beg to differ. Kind of... <laughs> well, I kind of just do whatever I think looks right. But yeah, a lot of it, I have a certain, I'd say there's probably like 20 fonts that I really love that I use a lot on a lot of covers. Um, and then, especially for fantasy or, I don't know if horror is the right word, but horror covers, uh, I do a lot of hand-drawn, just, I can't find a font that looks right, that isn't cliche uh, horror fonts or whatever, so I just make my own drawing and then scan it in and then vectorize it and make it yeah. into a font for that book. That's the, the beauty of hand lettering, isn't it? Yeah. So, But it's tedious if, you, yeah. if you're going in and especially if it's supposed to be clean and nice looking. Mm. Uh, like I did a cover um, for the Mermaid Sister. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen that one. Um, that was all, or at least the title was my font that I made and making that clean and nice and all the lines the right angles and stuff that was a tedious tedious process but it turned out good it's it just i wish i had found a font so i could just type it in yeah yeah so that was all in illustrator was it yeah that was illustrator yeah so do you tend to do the illustration or the, the image part of it first and then add the typography i think most of the time yes i i do concepts like i do I usually do three to four at least different concepts for a book and I'll do it really rough. Sometimes I'll use fonts. Um, sometimes the fonts are the actual fonts that I would use in the end. Sometimes they're just for placement. Um, and sometimes I'll scribble in, um, like if you had seen the concept for a mermaid sister, I did a really poorly drawn title font like this. And then I drew little swirls and stuff just to indicate to the publisher, I'm going to make it pretty. There's going to have swirls, stuff like that. Um, so it's, it's. I think about it at the beginning, but my main thought is about the whole image. And then <laughs> I tend to hope that they don't pick the ones that it's hand-lettered, uh, <laughs> but they always do. And then then I go in and make it pretty in the end. Yeah, so it's, it's very much in vogue at the moment, the whole hand-lettering. Oh, yes. But I think that that's the beauty of, of lettering is that it doesn't necessarily follow a, a particular trend and there are so many different ways that you can do it. I, I think maybe unfortunately for you, I don't think it's ever going to go out of style. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I mean, the hand letters ones, I mean, I'm looking at um, Never Bet the Devil as well. Yeah. I'm assuming that was hand lettered as well. Yeah, that was hand lettered. Um, yeah. If you're, are you on my, are you on my site right now? I am. Yeah. Yeah. Stones of Muncaster, that was hand lettered. I feel like Girls and Boys Who Rock the World was. I'm trying to remember. That was a while ago. Yeah. But I think it might have been a font, but I adjusted it. 
let's see, The Silent End, that was hand-lettered. It's been a while. Stories of the Strange and Sinister. Yeah, I love that one. Yeah. So it's it's hit or miss. And if I usually, like I said, I have some fonts that I go with over and over again, and then I tweak them. Mm. I'm an illustrator to, like, if I like the font, but I don't like the serif, I'll take it off because it makes more sense for the cover without it or stuff like that. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, do, do you have any particular methods of, of integrating the type in the image? Or is it just sort of a a process that you work through? And uh, it, it's something that I'm particularly interested in is, in is the relationship between type and image and sort of anything that's repeating forms that are repeating within the type and the image. And is, is that something that you think about much? Um, <laughs> I want to say no, I don't really think about it that much. Yeah, I think, I think when, it's kind of intuitive, really. Yeah, it just kind of happens. I think when there's a really difficult title, you think about it a lot more, especially with titles where it's like one really long word or a really long word next to a really short word. Mm. Finding the arrangement that looks right. Um, I'm trying to look through mine to see if there's an example of that. Um, November Sky, if you scroll down, the two people kissing. Oh yeah. Having having a long word like November and then a short word like sky, just trying to arrange it in a way that isn't weird. And this publisher was very particular about you you gotta have the text big so you can see it at thumbnail on Amazon. Yeah. Um so it was like, okay, how do I make November big when it's so it's such a long word? It has to be pretty small on the cover. Um so things like that I think about it more, but when weird combinations like that don't happen it's kind of just um it just falls into my lap with how it how how it turns out i don't know i just kind of see it and then don't tweak it much i don't know (laughs) typography is like an afterthought for me i guess it's it's such a difficult thing to kind of pin down sort of the that creative process just something i've tried i've been trying to to look through in, in my own process recently and try and sort of dissect it, I guess, and, and figure out what the process actually is. But it's it's proving quite challenging. <laughs> yeah, it seems like when most artists try to explain things like that, it's it's more just an answer of you know it when you see it, and it looks right to you, um, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I have a, a history in back, uh, well, I, I have a, um, a background in, in art history. So that that's something that I'm quite used to doing with other people's work, but it's really hard to apply it to your own. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was just noticing another example where you, you've had a, a longer word to, to deal with uh, was the, the Hugh Howie one, uh, the walk up, up nameless Ridge where you've split the word. Oh yes. <laughs> which is, is often sort of considered a bit of a no, no in, in typography, but this looks just so fantastic and it works the way you read it down the way and you just it sort of yeah. echoes the meaning yeah. of it yeah things like that it's i i think that was kind of a hard sell for him because he he didn't love if i remember correctly he didn't love that it was broken up or maybe i broke it up more like i broke it up in two letters stacked yeah a lot bigger and then i had to make it so you could read a better name less ridge but yeah things like that i like to try to push the boundary when i can just to see if I can get away with doing it and make it look more unique than every other cover out there right now. Cause I don't know if, I don't know if you feel the same way, but I feel like the cover industry has just blossomed over the past at least five years in a rate that 
I didn't see before then. Just more amazing illustrators and stuff doing it now. And it's hard to not look at everyone else's work and somehow copy it, even if you don't do it intentionally. So always trying to break the rules of what is acceptable is is what I try to do, but still make it to where you like to look at it. Yeah. If any of that makes sense. No, that that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's where the best design comes from. So yeah, sometimes it's quite a, a difficult thing to do and it's certainly a difficult thing to sell to an art director, but mm-hmm. yeah, when, when you do get those things through, it's, yeah, you, you end up with great covers like that. And um, so I wanted to ask more about the, the Hugh Howie covers. Um, cause, so he, is he still self-publishing most of his works? His latest book just came out and it was through HMH and he's a sand that he wrote was republished through them. I feel like Mm. he might be doing a lot of stuff with them now, but I feel like he said at one point that he still owns the ebook rights. Yeah. He does that independently. So yeah, I've done all his covers for a while now. Jason Gurley used to do them and then he retired from working on book covers and he introduced me to Hugh and then we kind of just hit it off and Hugh likes what I did. And so he keeps asking me to make covers, which is nice. But yeah, that lately it's been with HMH, but he actually has a new one that's coming out that I'm not talking about right now <laughs> that um, it seems like it's self-published. Okay. So are you working directly with him then? Yeah, for the most part, I work directly with him. With machine learning, that's the only one I didn't work directly with him. I worked with the art director at HMH and then uh, pitched them a couple ideas, and then they showed them to Hugh, um, and then we picked the final. And he, he's super easy to work with. He's he's pleased with pretty much anything I do, which is great, but also kind of frustrating because I want him to be like, this is terrible, do it like this. <laughs> it, I, it's good to have a an author who really likes what you do and trusts you. Yeah. So, so do you, I, I know you work with quite a lot of, of self-published authors as well. What, what sort of split, what sort of ratio would it be to, um, to publishing companies? Um, when I started, I would say it was 90% were independent publishers and then 10% was publishers. And now I'd say it's almost flipped. I would say I do about 80% with publishers now. Yeah. Um, and 20% with indie guys. And most of the indies I do work with are ones that I have previously worked with. I haven't taken on a lot of new people that I haven't worked with yet, um, but I keep the ones that I had a good relationship with, a fun time. Because you know how, I mean, do you work with indies too? I have in the past, yeah. There, I mean, sometimes it's you, you, you meet your best friend and sometimes you meet someone who you don't see the same thing at all and it's just butting heads the whole way yeah um so i try to avoid those obviously but you never know until you take the job hopefully you can kind of get an idea of what it could be like in the first initial emails but i I found a, a handful of people that are really really great to work with and they keep coming back to me and i keep working with them but otherwise i tend to avoid a lot of that headache with working with publishers now because of all the channels they have to go through for approvals yeah yeah makes it easier 
So what what would be the differences for you working with, with an art director at, or, or working with an author? I think um, an art director trusts you a lot more because they obviously know who you are enough to hire you to do the job. So they know what to expect. It An indie author would obviously have done the research to know who you are because they reached out to you. But I think that, like you said, it is their baby and they they worry so much about it going wrong. Um, and they have, most of the time, it seems like they have a very clear image of what they want in their head. And sometimes that image is wonderful. And sometimes it's the worst image. And it's kind of my job with doing concepts to show them their idea and then show them some other possibly better ideas. I don't want that to sound conceited or anything but just mm. kind of steer them in a way that this is this is what you exact exactly asked for and why it might not work visually and here are some ideas that play off of those themes those things you like other things you told me this i think could work better and i'd say nine times out of ten with the the weird ideas they get turned and then they go with something or an in between like a mixture of my idea and a little bit of their idea still. Um, but art directors, it seems more like, at least lately, it was, um, well, like the lore book, for instance. I worked on that cover and did the interior art. They were like, we know you listen to lore, the podcast, and we know you like the property and know the property. Just show us what you think would look good for the cover. So I pitched them. I gave them a ton of options. I probably gave them like 15 and then they're like, Aaron likes this one right here. Take it to final. Didn't have any back and forth of change this, change that. I think I changed one color in it. Wow. Um, and yeah, it was that was like a dream scenario. Because <laughs> they, they didn't get in there and try to fix and nudge and do all the stuff like a director could do. Um, they just trusted me as a fan of the property. And Aaron liked what I did so much that it was just... It was done immediately. Yeah, I, I guess it must be interesting to work with both and, and get both sides of that. It's um, tricky, and, and you learn what what kind of things fly with both sets of people. Um, but uh, it's been a lot of trial and error over the few years that I've been doing it with both of them. Mm. Um, well, I guess not few. I'm going on year nine now. Um, it feels like a few years. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm learning and... I, I think I know now what makes the most sense when I'm talking with indies and when I'm talking with actual art directors at publishers. Mm. So another thing I wanted to ask you about was more of, of the illustration side of things. And I was wondering how much of your portfolio is your own illustration. I'm seeing a few different styles here, so I don't know if, if others are, are things that you've sourced from elsewhere. Um, if it's an If it's an illustration, it's mine. Um, the only, I, I've only recently started using stock photography. Um, so like if you scan through starting at the top alternate, that clock watch thing obviously was a stock. Yeah. The next one down the planet and rune of the apprentice and the stars were stock Delphi effect here and there. Those were stock enemy. That was stock scrolling November sky. That was stock. The night is deep. Everything else I drew. Oh, cool. So you're obviously working in a number of different styles there. 
yeah that's yeah. that's kind of i think one of the benefits that i mean i was at first at heart an illustrator and i don't like any one particular style i like to try a lot of everything and if i see a new artist that i like i will try to learn what they're doing and learn their style and then i apply that to all my covers so i'll pitch new ideas with new styles so i can kind of see through the years okay who did i start following there and i learned this thing from them and my style changed for that book stuff like that so yeah i i really love doing illustrated covers i mean even when it's simple illustrations like the elementals or the separation where it's just simple graphics i i prefer that over stock photography because i feel like i know Everyone can't do stock photography manipulation covers, but I feel like it's more of something everyone could lean towards being able to do at some point with enough practice. But actually hand lettering, actually physically drawing something, I think is a harder harder skill to have, and it's not just in everyone. Um, so being able to do those type of covers makes me feel like I'm adding more to the book cover scene than just doing the same things everyone else is doing with lens flares and stock of some kind. Yeah, and the last thing you want is to have a book come out and then see another one with exactly the same stock photo. Because right, I've seen yeah. that happen. Yeah, I was just yeah. on a call the other day with a company and they were showing me one cover that they liked that had a particular stock of like a, a woman in fog. And I was Googling looking for woman in fog and I found another book cover using the identical stock. And the only difference was the title. Mm. And it was just, it was kind of sad that you see those things. I don't know. There's so much that you can do with art. It's sad when people just take one image, they don't do anything with it. And then they just pop text on and call it good. Yeah. And it's much more fun for us as designers as well, I think, to be able to play around with it and manipulate different elements. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So is this chronological, your, your website? No, um, this is, I don't even know how, is it alphabetical? No, it's not alphabetical. It seems to be <laughs> more by color. It, it, it definitely has a cohesiveness as you scroll, sort of you end up with lots of reds together and lots of purples and... and... Yeah, I think, I, think um, I use a lot of red, black and white or cream so i think when i was putting this together i think i was i put all my covers on saw all the red covers clumped together and then i was like okay well i gotta move them away from each other yeah so i had to i had to pace them out so that there's not a bunch of reds right next to each other because i do tend to use those colors a lot i think i put my favorite color covers near the top and then maybe my least favorite near the bottom no there's some good ones at the bottom yeah. but yeah there's definitely at least the first four on there are some of my favorites. Um, but this is, I haven't updated in like a year, which is bad. I need to update because these are, these are older and I've done some really cool things lately that I should get out there to show people. It does. It, it feels really nice to, to scroll through the way you've done it. I'm not sure what it, exactly it is you've done, but um, it, it has a, even though, you know, you put two, covers next to each other and they don't necessarily look like they were done by the same person when you put a body of it together like this it it does it has that that cohesiveness and i can't quite put my finger on what it is but it's great yeah <laughs> and i think that what i maybe unconsciously tried to do is 
make sure none of the styles are right next to each other that are the same so mm. that you you don't think, okay, well, I saw the first four covers. I know what his style is. I'm done. That's not what I want. Um, but I, I, I pepper the styles throughout so that people keep wanting to scroll to see what the differences are. Um, and they can say, okay, well, this is something I like. So I, I want, also wanted to ask you about the the digital versus analog or traditional thing. Um, it, do, do you work traditionally or I mean obviously a lot of it is done digitally but do you use traditional medium as well um for some covers I do I'll scan in things um trying to look through to see a lot of it if I scan in stuff it'll be textures or it'll be uh, a, a very unique font like the darkness there Edgar Allan Poe cover I did with that old mansion the big red moon that was a font that I hand inked with a brush and then I scanned it in and then cleaned it up and then put all the letters together in a nice way. I would say most of what I do is digital just because it's faster. Um, but time to time, a texture or a font or whatever, it'll call for a traditional media. So are you working on a, a Wacom tablet then? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And most of what I do is in Photoshop. If I'm in Illustrator, it's to work on text or something that needs to be exact but I prefer Photoshop I'm still clumsy in Illustrator yeah I know what you mean it it's definitely a steeper learning curve I think yeah it's not as intuitive even though it's the same company just something feels different yeah and even InDesign is is so much more intuitive than Illustrator <laughs> yeah oh and InDesign I've just started really getting into that and it's I feel like I I've I mean, you'll never master any of the programs, but I feel like I'm at a point in Photoshop that I can do anything that I want to do. Um, but I feel like I feel like I've just turned InDesign on for the first time, and it's yeah. scary. Yeah, sort of scarier when you then go back to a different kind of either a word yeah. processing thing or something, and you go, "Oh, I don't know what I I, I can't do anything I want to do." So <laughs> I suppose it yeah. must be like going back to Paint after Photoshop. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I like my comfort areas and I try to stay there when I can. Yeah. And I guess if you're working to a deadline, there's not really much opportunity to explore different options. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of, of deadlines, and I, I was wondering how, how your process looks. So from the beginning where you get a brief, do you sketch out by hand to start with? Um, no, most of the time I'll get the brief I'll usually ask a number of questions that help me um, that aren't often covered in the brief based off of what information was in the brief. And then I'll spend about a week. Well, I guess it depends on how much of a timeline they give me. If they give me more time, I tend to procrastinate <laughs> and put that one off a little bit. Uh, and then I'll sit down and I'll think about it for like a day or two. Like if I go for a run, I get really good ideas. If I take a shower, I get really good ideas. So I'll do that and then I'll sit down all at once and I'll draw as many concepts as I can think of based off of the brief and my own ideas. And then I always tend to get three to four sometimes. Like with lore, I got like 10 or more. I'll usually, if there's a really, really terrible one, I'll eliminate it, but I usually show everything that I draw just because I spent the time on it, so why not? And then I show that to them. They, depending on the company, they'll 
take a couple days to get back to me with changes and then depending on how difficult the changes are or how time consuming it could be turned around quickly or a couple days later a week um every company you know is a little different with how they schedule things out but then i take it to final and we're good to go um so you, you said that you always send in all of your ideas or, or you usually do yeah does the one that you don't really like sometimes get picked <laughs> unfortunately yes yeah there was a cover i won't name it but i just finished um last week um, and i had pitched the ideas about a month ago and we went through the process and i really really tried to steer really hard which one that i wanted them to pick and wanted them not to pick and then they picked the one that i didn't want yeah so i was like no how do i make this look good so i feel comfortable putting it on my site <laughs> And I, the end didn't turn out terrible, but it's just, it, it, those happen time to time. You pitch something and it makes me think, why did I show that to them? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's kind of frustrating. Well, yeah. Very frustrating. So I'd like to look at a few covers in, in a bit more detail here. And oh, yeah. generally I'm, I'm kind of picking ones that that I really like or ones that I've read the book from so I could have a bit more to go on. Um, so maybe we could, we could start with The Catcher in the Rye. So this, uh, that was another personal project. Mm. Um, I actually think it was for a, I don't know if it was a design contest or something, but I originally designed it for a Polish version of the cover. Um, so the title and everything was in Polish. And I was thinking, okay, well, what do I boil the image down to? And Holden is the only thing that made sense in his hat. And then, you know how he kept coming back to the ducks? Yeah. It took me a while to notice that, actually, that that's what that image was. But then then when I saw it, I thought, oh, wow, that's so cool. Yeah, it's, it's one of those just, like, in the shower moments of, oh, what do I do? What do I do? And then suddenly, oh, well, he smokes, angry, angsty teen. And he's the duck thing, make the smoke turn into ducks, done. Yeah. And so this was one that was, I, I inked it and then I scanned it in. So all of his lines and the ducks were all just um, with a big Sumi ink brush. Um, I scanned that in, then I put a texture down, and then I blocked out the color for his hat really sloppily on purpose. Yeah. Um, then laid the, laid the text in, and then I used JD's actual signature for the author and then called it good. And this is another one like the Harry Potters that if you Google like Catcher in the Rye tattoos, <laughs> you'll see oh, this gosh, yeah. all over people's bodies, which is really funny. People really responded well to it, which it's funny because I'll work on some covers that I'll spend a ton of time on and put my heart and soul into it and think, oh yeah, this is going to be the one that everyone loves. And no one comments on it or says anything for the rest of my life. And then I'll spend, uh, like this Catch in the Rye one, probably 30 minutes of work after I had the idea. Yeah. Um, just quickly sketching it out, dropping it in. And this is one of those ones that everyone always comes back to forever. And so it's just funny how that <laughs> you try really hard and no one cares, then you don't try and everyone loves it. Well, I, I think it's just because this is such a, a widely read book. And, yeah, that's and that true. that's just such an iconic image, and then you've put that little 
extra bit in it that just makes people go, ah, it just it just makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> so see, maybe I'll let you pick the next one. Is there one in here that you spent a huge amount of time on and you wish got more, <laughs> <laughs> got, yeah, more attention? I think like if we go back to the top, those are some of my more recent favorite ones. Mm. I, sp- I spent a lot of time on Capeville, a lot of time on Harmonica's Bridegroom. I love the typography on that. Yeah, when I had the idea for the two O's and being about marriage and kind of, are they rings? Um, yeah. Stuff like that. When I do things like that and I feel excited that I thought of something, and then no one no one notices or no one cares. I'm like, oh, maybe it wasn't oh. a good idea. No, it's a great idea. <laughs> But yeah, I spent a lot of I spent a lot of time on those. Um, Valancourt books was the one Harmonica's Bridegroom was for, and I know they really enjoyed it. And uh, Capeville, that one, it's a book all about superheroes. And so I went through, I read the book. I rarely read the manuscripts when I do covers, but I read the book for this one. And there's like a cast of like 50 superheroes or more in it, and I drew them all. And then the five on the cover here are the main characters and the main team thing. So it was just a huge, very, very long process. Me with the author designing what they look like. He was happy with everything I did, which was great. But it's just one of those books where I wish I wish everyone could read it and see what I saw in it, plus all the work I put into designing all the characters. So actually in the book, every character that I drew is in there which is oh, pretty that's neat good. That, that he put in there. So it, the work wasn't wasted. Oh, um, good. I was going to ask about that, actually. Because, yeah. yeah, 50 characters, that's that's quite a quite a feat. Yeah, it, it, was a, it was a doozy, but I loved every second of it. And I love the fact that it, it looks like a... I, I actually thought this was a for a comic to start with. Yeah, it's, it's basically a comic, but in novel form. Yeah. <laughs> the other one I wanted to ask about was Hard Boiled Wonderland at the End of the World, which is one of the Murakami novels that I haven't read, but... This is such a striking image. Is this another one that gets a lot of attention? No, I hardly anyone ever comments on this one. Um, Murakami is one of my favorite authors, hands down, all time. And this was a for fun cover. Uh, I didn't do this for a client. And this is one of those, uh, I don't want to spoil it because you haven't read it yet, but this is one (laughs) of those after you read it and you look back, it's, oh, kind of thing. Yeah. I think at the time, I'm trying to remember style-wise, I was reading a book that was illustrated by John Classen. Oh, yeah. Um, and so if you look at the buildings, they they have a reminiscent look of his style that he was doing in the book that I was reading at the time. Um, and then the character, I don't know if when you read Murakami, who you make the main character look like, but for whatever reason when it's a male main character, he always is um, Murakami yeah. to me. Yeah. Um, so this is a portrait of him that I drew. And then the other part is the bit from the story that you should totally read the story and then yeah. come back and be like, oh, that's what it is. <laughs> oh, yeah, I haven't read any Murakami for a while, so maybe I should. Yeah, yeah, it's a great one. And it's a super short one compared to his later work. I think it's actually like one of his first um, novels. I definitely picture Murakami as a protagonist as, as well. I think it's because there are always certain things. Well, I mean, there's that little um, 
uh, Murakami bingo going around the internet. I don't know if you've seen it. but I don't think I have. Is that like a BuzzFeed thing? I'm, I'm not sure where it came from, but it's it's just for each of his for, for his novels when, when you're reading, you can go through and go, oh, yep, so we've got missing cats. We've got somebody talking to cats and we've got classical music or jazz music and oh, or we've yeah. got spaghetti and all, all these things that, that just pop up all the time in, in his work. And um, I think his his main characters often feel like they're they're very similar, uh, which yeah. is part of the charm of his his books, I guess. But yeah, for that reason, I I do picture them as as being Murakami himself. Yeah, I just looked up the bingo, and that is very yeah. funny. Yeah, <laughs> something vanishing, being followed, cats vanishing, cats yeah. cooking. Yeah, that is exactly his books. Yeah, absolutely. When you're working within a, a, an established genre, are you sort of thinking about what ex- already exists in the genre and trying to do something a bit different or trying to fit in, but also do something a little bit different? Um, I think it depends on the publisher. With certain things, especially with thrillers, I tend to notice they they use a lot of the same terms or they reference, they use visual comps from other novels that everyone uses or, or science fiction, you always have to have some sort of lens flare type thing on there, which drives me crazy. But you know, when you see it, that that's kind of a sci-fi book. I, I do try to stand out. I mean, yeah, especially with like the romance cover that I did for Hugh, I could have done two things, this uh, going this direction or doing what we think of a romance novel is, which mm. is uh, a super hot guy kissing a girl or, you know, just those, you go down the romance aisle and they all look exactly the same. They do. Um, so uh, we all have these preconceived ideas of what a sci-fi, what a horror, what all these are or need to be in a cover. And I keep some of those things. I try to change them when I'm allowed. But I think most of the time, because I work in so many different art styles visually that I can change the style. And even if I still have to keep something that is a cliche for the genre, the style might change it enough to where um, it doesn't look like every other thriller or every other sci-fi book out there. Yeah, for sure. And I always think that if I'm looking through sci-fi and fantasy, the, the books that stand out are the ones that do something a little bit different, not not so different that you can't actually tell that it belongs in that genre. Because having worked as a bookseller, it's very confusing if you look at a book and go, oh, yeah, that belongs in YA, for instance. And then you realise, oh, no, actually, this is a an adult fantasy or, I don't know, it's literary fiction or something. And it's it's trying to be something else. And, and that yeah. does get very confusing. Yeah, it, it it's a it's a tricky thing to navigate. And what what's funny is that it seems like publishers use all these terms that they speak in house. And then when they say them to a designer, like I hear upmarket a lot, I hear uh, bold, strong, um, just just super vague words that have a meaning to each person, but they don't have the same meaning to each person. And so when they're like, I want it to be a thriller that looks upmarket, but um, is also literary. Okay, well, what does that mean? Because what that means to me is probably different from what that means to you or who's speaking. Just navigating all those weird words and seeing what we see everywhere, not copying everybody else. Um, It's tricky, but I I think it's fun. And you you just learn as you go. 
my covers always get better the more I do them in certain genres and I learn from my mistakes of what didn't work and you know yeah yeah I mean that's the beauty of of this medium isn't it that you're translating something maybe something just as short as a title to a, a whole visual image that's then got to represent it online in bookshops everywhere mm -hmm. and you can do so much with it that that's what yeah. I love about it and it's crazy when when you think about I mean I don't know what is normal for most um, book cover designers but I rarely have the opportunity to read the manuscript just mm. for time reasons so I always wonder when I go through bookstores and look at all the covers I think did this person read the book? Is this why this cover is what it is? Or did they are they like me and they're like, okay, well, here's my paragraph synopsis. I have to somehow come up with a good image that makes sense for what I'm told this book is about. I mean, yeah. I guess that's the beauty of redesigning a classic because you've got the manuscript already or you're it's yep. easy to get hold of. But um, So, I mean, something like Catcher in the Rye, that's such a, again, iconic image, iconic story. And because a lot of people will have already read that book, they'll see it and, and go and, and make that connection immediately. Whereas if you hadn't read The Capture in the Rye, you would see maybe see the cover think, oh, that's a that's a really striking image. And then yeah. you'd read it and then you'd, you'd get that aha moment where you realize yep. that's why there are birds on the front. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So do you have a favorite genre to work within? Um, I think my favorite genre is usually horror or like supernatural fiction not like fantasy like medieval fantasy but just supernatural is that a sub sub genre i guess um, so those those types of covers i seem to do my best work on if if i can say that those often tend to be my red black white covers funny enough but there's just something something scary and something supernatural, you have a lot more bold imagery to work with, I think, for the cover than you do when things are more, if it's a sci-fi, it could be a lot more cerebral in the story to where it's hard to convey that in an image. Um, like if you look at the cover for the Delphi effect, I haven't read that, um, but I think it lends more towards the sci-fi genre, um, if I'm remembering correctly. But when they were describing what the Delphi effect is in the story, I'm like, okay, well, this is a thing that you can't see at all. So how do I represent this in an image? Um, so those I struggle with, which is why I think I lend to liking horror and stuff like that, because you always got a crazy monster or a spooky house or really moody scenes in some way. That kind of stuff I latch onto and I can do usually a pretty good job at. And they're just so bold, those colors that you use for those. Yeah. I guess that, that cerebral thing also sort of goes back to um, what you were doing with His Dark Materials and actually trying to get the essence of something that's just so so yeah, yeah enormous. And... Especially if it's an invisible thing. Yeah. <laughs> that's <Yeah. laughs> Like doing psychological thrillers that aren't like murders to where there's a murder weapon or some villain that you can put on the cover. Yeah. That those are... It's just, I don't even know how they, they they end up where they end up, but somehow they get out the door. I mean, I suppose this is why so many cover designs end up you know, just going back to a woman walking away into the distance or yeah. through some trees or something like that, because it 
again, you, you can't give away too much about the plot. Mm-hmm. But it, it's also it's difficult to do that thing where you then look back and go, aha. There was a cover. It was about it was a murder case and it was kind of a psychological thriller. And they were describing all these really great imagery, like the killer um, always wore. It was a woman and she always wore these bright fluorescent pink leggings of this particular hue and that they learned had something to do with the killings. I'm doing a terrible job at explaining it, but all the imagery that they explained, they're like, this is what the story's about. You can't show that on the cover. <laughs> and yeah. I'm like, crap, what do I do on the cover? So the cover is a very vague uh, image um, of a room that is kind of like what's in the story. But I made the text bleed into the hot pink of her leggings which saying that out loud that sounds kind of weird hot pink text on this thriller book but it worked and they loved it because it's a nod at who the killer is but it's not giving anything away until you read it um but it's just something that's super simple and subtle that oh it's also just pink text Mm, which is is very popular at the moment having those really neon colors on looking yeah, really in Rankin's books and yeah a lot a lot of those crime thrillers you see that at the moment but here it's actually it's not just a trendy thing it's, it's a clever thing I, I really want to see that now yeah I'm, I'm trying to remember what the cover is um, maybe but, not say yeah. the book because <laughs> it's a bit of a spoiler oh, yeah, now. Then that would spoil it yeah <laughs> <laughs> it was a cover and it has pink text on it <laughs> yeah <laughs> so um a, a question that I'm asking every book designer that I've been interviewing is what what do you think makes a great book cover? And do you think that that could be distilled down to one thing? I think being a competent designer. If, that, that's a great answer. <laughs> if you're that in some form, you're going to have a good book cover because you can have great direction, great programs, great whatever. If you don't know what you're doing as a designer, then it doesn't really matter. But um, you can have terrible direction and bare minimum programs and be a great designer and still make something that looks wonderful. So I think it's just just knowing what you're doing and being good at it in some form. Is that right? Did I get it right? <laughs> that, that's a pretty solid answer. I haven't had anyone answer like that before. So yeah, this is very interesting. Great. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for making the time work, too, with us being in different parts of the world. Spine is a production of Spine magazine. For show notes, articles, audio and video about the enormous talent that goes into creating books, visit spinemagazine.co.